I just want to say uh, how honored I have been already this morning to be in this circle because um, sometimes the songs um, bounce off me. You know, I'm in a place in my life where I'm, uh, I'm just hearing the words, but today they just went in. And I just want to say thank you to the band uh, that led us in worship this morning and uh, for the gift that that has been just to my spirit. I don't have the honor of knowing every single one of you by name and knowing your story, but I also want to just say how incredibly excited I am personally to see you here in this place today, or to have you joining us online uh, to be part of this circle that is formed uh, by our worship together. And um, I don't know if you're a long-time journeyer with Jesus, or whether you find yourself in a place where you're just just considering, exploring the possibility that he could mean something in your life, uh, or whether you find yourself just someplace in the middle and uh, are not really sure how to describe your faith journey, I'm glad you're here. And I, and I hope that this morning, as I reflect with you a little bit on the teaching of Jesus, that there'll be something in here that speaks to your heart, and you'll go, oh, this is why I'm here today. I was here to hear that and and to think about that and to respond to that more fully. Um, So as we jump in today, let me just set the conversation in context, particularly for those of you that are newer into this circle. We're looking this uh, month and through this whole season at what have sometimes been called the hard sayings of Jesus, the things that were so uh, provocative that they account for why it is that um, not everybody loved him, that uh, some people actually wanted to get rid of him. And uh, we're reckoning with that. We're trying to move past sort of the tame Jesus that we may have um, accumulated an understanding of in life and, and thinking deeply about those things he says that are aimed to shake us up, that, that he said it because he, his desire is to draw us uh, into a deeper place of life and, and the fullness of life as, as his kingdom and his way of thinking, his kingdom's view, uh, makes possible. So I want to invite you to listen with me, if you would, to some words from the scriptures. And if you've got your Bible with you or have a, a Bible app on your phone, you can find this in Luke chapter 6 uh, at verse 37. And Jesus is, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount as Luke records the story. Jesus has been saying a whole string of very provocative things, some of which we've been uh, talking about in weeks past. Listen to these words uh, from Jesus. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable, the text says. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be, their, be like their teacher. What Jesus is saying there is, um, there's a blindness that can happen to us when we stop learning. 
when we think we're already the teacher. And Jesus says, keep learning. Stay humble. Stay open. And that may be especially important as we reflect on what he says in this text today. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? Uh, You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In his really provocative um, book, Bono in Conversation, author Mitch Mishka Aseas describes um, a conversation that he has with the famed uh, singer of the megastar rock group YouTube. You've heard of Bono, I think, yeah. And, and he goes into the conversation with Bono by, by basically making a statement and asking him to respond. And you should know that Mr. Assayas, the author of the book, is not a follower of Jesus Christ himself. But he begins by asking the pop star, don't you think appalling things happen when people become too religious? Good question. Don't appalling things sometimes happen when people become too religious. And, and Bono sort of granted in his response, yeah, that can happen. Uh, people can do bad things in the name of, of religion. But then he counters by going on and saying something really fascinating, and I'm quoting Bono here. It's a mind-blowing concept to me that the God who created the universe might be looking for company might want a real relationship with human beings. And then Bono goes on and says, but the thing that keeps me on my knees is the difference between grace and karma. And he goes on and says, at at the center of all religions, because Assayas is now asking, and what do you mean by that? And Bono says, at the center of all religions is this idea of karma. You know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Or in physics, in physical laws, it's the idea that every action is met by an equal and opposite reaction. And yet along comes grace, says Bono. Grace upends all of that. Love interrupts, if you like, the consequences of your actions, which in my case, says Bono, is really good news because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. I would be in big trouble if karma was going to finally be my judge, Bono says. It doesn't excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace. Because I know who I am, and I hope I do not have to depend on my religiosity. And then this is what he says. And for those of you who may not know this dimension of of Bono's life, you'll be intrigued by this. He says, Christ took on the sins of the world so that what we put out there 
did not come back to us so that our sinful nature does not reap the obvious death that that nature would merit. It's not our own good works that get us through the gates of heaven, Bono says. And to paraphrase, the, what he's getting at is, it's God's amazing grace that does that, a grace that's given to us in the name of love. I'm not sure that there's any um, belief or doctrine that is more uh, precious and important to followers of Christ or those who are considering following Christ than this particular idea, this idea of the difference between grace and karma, as it were. Um, This is the central turning point. This is the thing which once it it seeps in and we really get it and it starts to take effect in our lives, results in a life that's more like Jesus versus just a religious life or a set of rituals that we try and adhere to. Um, It's simply impossible to hold an accurate understanding of the utterly holy character of the God that the Bible describes or the utterly not holy character of most human beings without really thinking deeply and differently about how it is that we move forward with God. Um, If I think to myself, as I'm prone to in certain moments, when I meet God face to face, He is going to be really impressed. He is, I know, going to take a look at my life. He'll look at all of my moral merit badges and the service, uh, church services I went to and my charitable gifts and my community service and my voting record, and God will say, wow, angels, come over here. That's what we're shooting for. Dan Meyer. He will really improve the quality of life here in heaven. Advance him to the next round. If I think that, I've got some more thinking to do. I I, I need to really think harder. I I will confess that one of the the sort of recreational pleasures of my life is I I enjoy watching music game shows. Any any of you ever catch music game shows? You know, American Idol, The Voice. They've got some new ones out now. I really enjoy watching those shows. Have you ever been watching one of those shows when a tone-deaf performer comes out there who doesn't know they are or who doesn't really get the, the context and the circumstances fully enough? You know, they're dressed up really beautifully. Uh, they've, they've had some affirmation, I'm sure, from certain quarters, maybe their family members and, and friends only to give their best and then hear the evaluation of a real rock star. It isn't pretty. You know, it can be painful. That scenario barely hints at what would happen if someone came smugly before the judgment seat of a holy God. Uh, God is a being who lives eternally at such a beautifully, perfectly pure and holy pitch 
that the performance of even our best moral rock stars looks like a polyester lounge act in comparison. I'm almost laughably bad. The Bible tells us that God is a being whose, whose goodness burns so brilliantly clean and hot all the time that if we were to encounter that holiness unfiltered by grace, it would instantly incinerate anything and anyone stained by the slightest sin, no matter how sequined the outside looked. It would be an instantly fatal encounter unless it was filtered by grace. Now this has always been a very hard concept for religious people to get. In fact, I could almost suggest that, that the very nature or definition of religion is that it thinks that there are, there's a ladder that we could climb that would be a, a sufficient um, closer of the distance between us and God. That on our own merits, our own works, that would be plenty. God would go, wow, I'm really impressed. I'm really amazed by you and what you've done. Well, Jesus comes to shake religious people out of that notion. And, and, and he expressly, expressly tries to address in the first century AD uh, the point of view held by a religious group uh, called the Pharisees. The Pharisees thought themselves as very impressive contenders on the Israelite idol show. I mean, they, they even had costumes, okay? They had these beautiful robes that they wore with tassels on it. Uh, they walked around very confident of how impressive they were. They, they were constantly looking scornfully at all the bad acts in society. They called those sinners, uh, quote unquote. They spent hours do re meing themselves up and down the moral purity scales and the rituals uh, that, of, of religion and the, the cleansing stuff. They, 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 they were just convinced that they were performing beautifully and God would be very impressed. Very impressed. And then the great rock and the great star of eternity actually crash landed in their midst. And he gonged their act. He gonged it completely. No wonder they crucified him. No wonder. Now, you and I know better, right? We we've, are more self-reflective, I think, than the Pharisees. We understand with Bono that we are neither rocks nor stars in the ultimate sense. We know with the apostle Peter that we're people sort of made of sand. You know, like Peter, we'll say these great things sometimes, but, you know, we're very sub, subject to, you know, denying Jesus in other ways, other times, under pressure. We know with the prophet Isaiah that we are um, people of unclean lips. I mean, we know some of the things we say when we're not in the church setting or the things that we say in our heads. 
We know we live amongst a people of unclean lips. We know with St. Paul that we fall far short of the glory of God, that the ladder actually goes up forever, and we could never climb it, ever. We could never close the gap. We know that we actually get to spend eternity in heaven, not because we're such great singers, but because Jesus is. Because in the finals of the great contest with sin and death at Calvary, Jesus chose to enwrap us all in this remarkable song. Don't make them pay for their tone deafness, Dad. Don't make them. Please. Even as the crowd spat at him across the judgment table, judging him as a failure, Jesus said, let me pay instead, Dad. Let me take it. Let me pay the price. Let them go free. Let them in. Please, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know how bad their act is. They just don't understand. You and I, we're we're like these Guys and gals that have been hanging around in a bar someplace. We've had a few drinks through many, too many, and somebody comes up to us and says, Hey, would you like to have a, a free ticket, a pass to the greatest concert that ever was? A pass to a concert where the splendor and majesty enraptures you and transforms you. Would you like to be part of that? And some of us get at least the the fringe or the edge of that offer and we've said yes to that and if we have accepted that pass, we are now ready to use every instrument we can lay our hands on to join in that song. We just want to be the the backup singers, the the accompanying musicians in this great concert. We just want to be someplace in the amphitheater. If we've accepted that pass, we're already raising our hands. We're reaching out to other people to try and and, 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 and embrace them because we recognize them now as brothers and sisters in this thing. We're thinking about who we can get to come into this concert because it's so amazing. And if we've accepted that pass, that Jesus freely offers to us with those nail-pierced hands of his. We're just going around everywhere now, humming the tune, singing the songs. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was, was blind to my condition, but now I see. Do you get that? Is that a song you sing? Is that the music you move to? This is the gospel. This is the good news that 
Christianity since the beginning has been trying to articulate and sometimes does very badly with. But, but here's the really difficult part. Here's the part that could get somebody killed. Here's the part that is so disturbing and upsetting to some hearers that it made plenty of religious people want to see Jesus dead. Here's the line. There's a condition on this grace. There's a condition on this grace. Now, I invite you to listen really carefully here and and to take that learning posture that Jesus talked about earlier in the teaching here and to hang with me here because at least for some of us who have grown up around religion, you're going to be going, like your heresy indicators are going to be flashing. You're going to say, what? Never heard that before. That can't be true. That's not right. Hang with me here, please. And, And more importantly, don't just hang in with me In fact, throw me aside. Tune into what Jesus says. Listen deeply, maybe afresh or for the first time to what Jesus has to say. And I'll get to it in just that moment. Make no mistake about this part. God's love is unconditional. God's love for you personally is unconditional. He has a heart that will meet you right where you are, right now. With all the things you've done, all the things you've left undone, all all, all the questions you have, no matter, he will meet you right there. And he will embrace you. And and, and he will bless you and he will seek to, to, to work with you and to work through you in your life to bless other people. This is absolutely trustworthy. His love is unconditional. But grace works a little differently. Somebody once told me that grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. In other words, Jesus pays the price. Grace is having our sins forgiven. It's being offered a ticket into God's great concert. It's Jesus acting not because we have earned it, not because we merit it, not because we even fully appreciate it. It's Jesus acting because of who he is, because he is love. And love does like that. It does good, even to people who don't merit or or understand it. So grace is this amazing act of Jesus on one level to do something that opens the way into new relationship with God and to pay the price for all the stuff that would block us from relationship with God. But in its fullest sense, Grace is more than that. And this is, the, this is the disturbing, challenging, and ultimately transforming part. In a sense, grace is not just being given the ticket. Grace is entering into the concert. It is taking our seat in and at, at the concert. 
It's not just getting the pass, it's taking your seat or dancing in the mosh pit of the kingdom of God and being altered by it. God's intention is that you and I live in what some people call, would call a state of grace. Have you ever heard that expression before? Oh, she just lived in this state of grace. People will say admiringly about people. And entering into the state of grace is conditional. It doesn't happen automatically. It's not something that can just be done to you. You have to choose it. You have to desire it. You have to make it your aim to enter into a kingdom, a way of being and living that is defined by this flowing grace. By this flowing grace. When I think of somebody I know who, who, who lived in a bit of that, my sense of that state of grace, I, I sometimes will think of my, my friend and, and coworker, Vicki Bear. Some of you knew Vicki. Vicki was the amazing children's ministry director of Christ Church for many, many years until we lost her from this earth in her early 40s. In her journey with cancer, Vicki, who was always uncommonly smart, became uncommonly wise. And she made many powerful observations during her last months. This was one of them. I quote her. Grace is like being offered a heart transplant free of charge. If you had a heart condition and no insurance, and somebody came up to you and say, guess what, I've got a heart for you. Is that going to seem bad news, medium news, or good news? Yeah, it's going to be amazing news. And Vicky would go on and say, not yet. Not really. Not yet. She says, until we accept the heart and allow the surgeon to cut us and implant the new heart into us until we undergo that operation, the heart can't pump. It's life-giving blood through our body. And then she said this. This is final sentence of this paragraph she wrote. The reality is that we don't just need a ticket to heaven. We need a heart transplant now so that we are able to live the way of heaven. Now, how many of you have heard of the name Dallas Willard? Not as well known as the name Bono, but Dallas was a professor of philosophy at the University of Southern California and, and an amazing author and thinker and soul. And Dallas says that many people have tended to see religion as all about getting a ticket to heaven when we die. How many of us secretly, or at least functionally, have thought about that as being sort of the big purpose of religion, is to get a ticket to heaven when we die? That's important, Dallas says. <laughs> You'll want to take care of that. You'll want to pursue that. But don't stop there, he says. Grace, in the sense that Jesus taught it, 
is so much more than that. It's more than having God scan the barcode on the back of your Jesus ticket. It's more than God scanning the barcode to make sure you said the Jesus prayer. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. I know it's your sacrifice on the cross that makes it possible for me to be uh, forgiven of my sins. That's a good prayer to offer, but grace is so much more than that in the teaching of Jesus. Grace isn't just the way into the kingdom of God someday. It is the truth and way and life of that kingdom today. Grace is God acting supernaturally on us now. It's God joining us with his concert. It's moving us to his music. It's giving us a song to sing and and instruments to play with each other. Grace isn't a stub we hold. It's a circle we get to enter into and move to and continue. Grace is life on the kingdom side of the fence. So we began the series talking about getting off the fence. And you don't need to believe me, please, but do listen to what Jesus says, and I quote him. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given unto you. In other words, Jesus says that grace isn't a straight line, it's a circle. It moves in a circle. And so if you really know that you have been freed by God from judgment and condemnation, if that has really moved into you, you will not judge and condemn other people. You may criticize, you may name areas for growth or opportunities and needs for change, but you will not throw other people away as worthless. That's what condemnation is all about. If you truly accepted the huge forgiveness that God has, has made of all of your sins in the name of Jesus Christ, you will tend to forgive. In fact, it will be a natural thing for you to forgive the sins of other people. If you're genuinely conscious of all that you've been given by God, that you did not produce yourself on this planet, you did not uh, create almost anything that's come your way in life, you maybe opened your hands to it in some creative ways, you will tend to be very generous in how you manage the resources that are in your hands right now. Unless, I suppose... You've just gotten really good at faking it. Unless you've just gotten really good at faking the Christian life, the Jesus life. I told you I I like these music game shows. Have you seen the new one? Have you seen the one that's called I Can See Your Voice? If you haven't, it's an interesting premise. It, the, the, the object of the show is for the contestant to try and distinguish between the really good 
and the really bad singers. And, and the person is given a choice, usually between an individual or Tibet or, or a whole group of people, and each will sing a, a song, and you have to tell which of, this, uh, of, these, of these people up on the platform are really, really good singers, and which ones are just lip-syncing. And it's hard to tell. I mean, I have watched that show and been totally fooled because some of these people, they're just so good at moving to the music. And I mean, it's just, they're fantastic. They're amazing at faking it until the moment comes when the judges say, okay, really sing so we can see your real voice. God can see my voice. Man looks on the outward appearance, the Bible says. God, he looks at the heart. He knows. He knows that we are not perfect. He knows that we're not rock stars. He knows that we don't sing the song or play the instruments exactly like Jesus does yet. He does not dismiss us or discount us or condemn us for that. He knows that, that, that we're just human beings. But he does care about the vector of our lives. If we're not at least stirred by, by the music to the point that we are starting now to live a little differently, if we're not just stirred enough by the music that we're starting to pursue reconciliation in our relationships and to starting to forgive some of the people that have done us wrong and, and starting to turn away from the criticizing and the condemning and the contempt that may have been our pattern before and is the style of this world towards that life of grace that Jesus models with people, if it's not moving in a circle, then maybe we haven't actually received the gift. Maybe we're just holding the stub, the ticket, and we haven't actually entered the concert. Nearly 500 years ago now, the uh, Protestant reformers John Calvin and Martin Luther became concerned that, that religion had taken over the church. And the people had gotten content with just appearing to be about the way of Jesus. If we might say lip-syncing it. And, and they write this. Both of them actually said this at different times. While it is true that we are saved not by works but by faith alone. While it is true that we are saved not by our good deeds but by what Jesus does on the cross alone. The faith that saves is never alone. The faith that transforms us, that renews us, that brings us into the life of the kingdom is always accompanied by a response. There's like no way. Can you imagine going to a U2 concert and you're sitting in the chair and, and they're saying, in the name of love, right? And you're not flinching. You're just... <laughs> no. If you're at the concert, at least you're like your little toe is tapping, right? 
something's happening that's a response to the concert. Which is why Jesus says to the Pharisees, and in effect to you and to me, don't you folks understand that the love of God is always aimed at completing the circle of grace? Why do you stop it up, he says to the Pharisees. Why don't you complete the circle? How can you let grace come to you and not be extending it to other people? Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say, let me take the speck out of your eye when you fail to see the plank in your own eye? Do you honestly expect God's continuing grace when you won't extend it to others is what Jesus is saying. Repent, he says to them. You hypocrites, I tell you, repent, change your course. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So, what do you do with that message? What do you do with a message like that? With a Messiah like that? Well, I, I think one response potentially is I might start to think, wow, I have got something to think about. I have got to, to walk further into that concert. I mean, I've got to examine the quality of the circles in my, in my life. I've got to stop lip-syncing the gospel message and really start living it from the lungs of my life. I mean, I've got to change the way I've been doing some of my relationships. I, I, I've got to root myself more in some spiritual disciplines or something or spiritual community or something so that this is moving in me even more. I've got to let the maestro and his music move me and, and, and move through me more than ever before. I, 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 that's a response I can make to the call of Jesus in this moment. Or I can just say, you know, it would be a whole lot easier if we just crucified him and didn't have to think about this. Because after all, I've got my free pass. How about you? <laughs>